0: On the show today, virtual reality without the virtual part, cashing in on your IP, and a brief tutorial on not blowing up your tractor. In 3, 2, 1... like a character from Jet Set Radio Future right now?
1: I don't think I played Jet Set Radio Future, but um, if you had a skateboard or some roller uh, rollerblades I'd say so. Yeah, it was rollerblades. You, oh, okay. You, you got
0: into. Okay, that's it. Okay. Anyway, thank you for joining us, everybody, on another episode of Total Pebble Knockdown. I am currently still Nathan. I am still and always will be Alex. You will never change. Don't ever change.
1: Thank- I won't.
0: (laughs) Don't ever change. Uh, (laughs) alright. We got a few things to get into, so let's just jump into it. Oh, that's somebody else's thing. I won't say that one. Let's do stuff.
1: We'll just steal someone else's thing. I don't care. Yeah.
0: Let's get this over with. Let's make that the phrase. (laughs) Uh, I like that one better. So in our process of uh let's just get over it, um, I actually did have another weekly news. This is not necessarily as insane as the whole dog the bounty hunter thing. I really oh, wanted good. to get to that. Sorry.
1: <laughs> that was that was but, a thing.
0: That was that was surreal, man. That was surreal. Um, but I do have another news article and I will put it uh, up for you this so that you
1: becoming a news webs, uh, news newscast
0: <laughs> well this was an odd one this was kind of an odd one uh there is a video attached to this but basically let me just kind of explain what's going on here so in scottsdale arizona uh never been there i hear it's hot yeah there, probably <laughs> there is
1: i'm going to just take go out on a limb and say that it's probably warm um, okay, first, first of all, first in accuracy, you said this is an article. This is a paragraph of text in the video.
0: <laughs> yes, the video is definitely like the report, um, okay. but I can kind of summarize the video for you. It's fine. Okay. You don't have to watch it right now. But basically, there's this place that they put together that was called Bam Kazam, and Bam,
1: let- Bam Kazam,
0: Bam Kazam, yeah. Every time I hear that, I want to start singing that song from the Fallout games. Wham, bam, alakazam, under an orange-colored sky. But anyway, Bam Kazam, what they wanted to do, the way that they're tagging this, is that it turns you into a video game character, literally. That's not actually true but if you if you were to watch the video what you would basically see is uh imagine going into a different series of rooms where there were like physical challenges that were modeled after like video game worlds not specifically like a fallout world or something like that but like post apocalypse or this is where like you're a mouse in a behind the walls which the little picture you can see the little ball of yarn and stuff and you, uh, you have to navigate through, like, the hanging cheese boards and stuff like that. And they're uh, talking about putting up, like, a, a science fiction, like, spacey one and, and that kind of thing. But think about it like uh, if you were doing the physical challenges that you would see in a video game, like, a platformer more than that, like action games. But you were doing it in real life with, like, actual elements, that's what
1: they're going for. So it's like an escape
0: room? A little bit like an escape room, but more but not about solving mysteries so much as completing physical obstacle courses. Sure, oh sure.
1: I I mean just like here's a number of tasks you have to complete. Sort of uh, like or that. Not. More like an obstacle course, I would suppose. A
0: little bit more like that, but they actually did at one point compare it to like the idea of an escape room. Oh, no,
1: so I was on—I was on point.
0: You're—you're you're on point. Yeah, it's, it's a little different, but it—they—they they did make a comparison to that at at uh, one point as well. And I think that right now they have like six. They're thinking about getting up to like eight or something like that. And I think entry fees, like for. Uh, is it by person or by group? It's like 35 or something like that. Um, so not not incredibly expensive as far as amusements go. But I was trying to figure out, and I was interested in your thoughts about, like, when you play video games, how excited are you to actually try it in real life? Because it depends on the game for me. Uh, sometimes I, I very much would not want to really do it in real life.
1: <laughs> Didn't... Matt Pat have a series on YouTube Originals that dealt with this type of thing. He possibly could, but I never
0: watched YouTube Originals.
1: I don't think anyone did.
0: That's why they don't really do them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's why I, I I there's there's they still exist. That's a whole different they do topic. But I mean maybe like the Mirror's Edge type parkour thing, maybe without the without the bad guys or yeah, the uh zip lines or the paragliding type stuff from it some of these games could be cool but like that's yeah. those are super like high octane as opposed to yeah. like we're going to pretend to be a Mario or Luigi and do some platforming
0: yeah it, it it is and i could kind of see it too actually what what kind of got me thinking about this and maybe the reason why uh you know i wanted to talk about it was because uh, people might not know this, but before I started doing podcasting, one of my jobs was I worked at a high ropes course. and yes, I, was I remember like, this. They do? no longer exist. They really don't. But um, I uh, I was a safety instructor. I worked about 40 feet in the air on, uh, on high ropes courses, very familiar with things like zip lines, how to operate those, and, and a lot of different challenges. One of the things that's interesting is that when you watch the video that they do, um, you see, like, the hanging cheese boards and stuff like that, and I thought to myself, yeah, we had obstacles like that, it was just that at the time, they were, like, f- about 30-40 feet in the air. <laughs> um, but these t- this time they're on ground, which I have to be honest with you, probably does seem a lot safer. Also, kind of a l- less exhilarating, though. I, <laughs> in, in retrospect, uh, the courses that I worked on probably were a little bit closer to, like, the Mirror's Edge or the the video game experience than what they have going on here, Um, but you don't need to have nearly as much specialized equipment, and I'm sure that was a big thing for them. A fun little side note for everybody, one of the reasons why high ropes courses were really big in Europe, and then they started to come over to the United States, but they didn't necessarily get big in the United States at the same time, is because um, Europe when they tried to create amusement parks, the the land masses are smaller, and the actual footprints for different amusements are a lot smaller, so they had to think about building vertically rather than out. yeah,, uh, which is the reason why they were like, "We can fit a lot of stuff in a vertical high ropes course uh, in a pretty small footprint by comparison. um luckily we have we have a lot of acreage, <laughs> so so we invented like, you know, your uh your fairs your your fairgrounds and stuff like that
1: yeah we invented the fairgrounds no well we didn't we it's an amusement park <laughs> an amusement park yeah we
0: invented it folks no we didn't but we did we did uh gravitate towards that style of uh, entertainment but the challenges here seemed okay there's nothing specialized like i said you can't like it, they don't like call them fallout or you know starfield or anything like that Um, but just get the the general feeling of it. Um, I'm not quite sure, like, the one that they seem to highlight a lot is that whole thing where it's supposed to be like you're the mouse in the wall, and I I have absolutely no idea what game that would be referencing. (laughs) If you happen to know folks, I'd love to. It's gotta be something where you shrink down. Maybe there was something in Alice Madness Returns, I can't remember. Maybe it's
1: Grounded. Uh,
0: maybe it is Grounded. You know what? You're right. This is probably a take on Grounded. There aren't a lot of interior spaces in Grounded yet. Maybe there will be one day. Maybe. If you could create an amusement park of sorts, and you could take something from video games, some some element from video games, What would you think would translate the best into a real world experience?
1: Oh, uh, Planet Coaster duh.
0: You're right. Roller Coaster Roller Coaster Tycoon?
1: I've just ruined your entire question by giving you a sandbox game where you can build an amusement park.
0: But here's the thing. Actual people building the amusement park in real time seems horrible. That seems like a horrible horrible. idea.
1: Oh man. Oh, (laughs) If I had to, like, pick type a type of game, it'd probably be, like, a platformer, yeah. Sure, sure. Like, it's, it's very simple. Sure. Compared to some other things you'd have to make and do. Like, yeah. you could escape rooms, obviously, or you could do, like, hidden object type stuff.
0: Oh, yeah, you could do that. You could um, do that. Um, I uh, I also realized that if you were talking about, like, taking a first-person shooter and putting it in the real world, that's pretty much paintball, Right.
1: Yeah, with the way first-person shooters are nowadays, where it's all cover-based, yeah, that's that's paintball. Yeah, <laughs> which is why in Watch Dogs Legion, and you get the uh, paintball guns. It's like, oh yeah, this is fine. Yeah,
0: I haven't I haven't gotten to uh, Legion yet, but it, it, that's good. They have a paintball gun.
1: Yes, perfect. Lots of different weapons that people can get, and paintball gun is one of them. It's perfect. non-lethal and fairly effective. Yeah,
0: <laughs> well, you know, having played paintball, I can tell you that um, if you weren't wearing padded clothing and the face masks and everything, paintballs would really hurt.
1: Yeah, especially when you turn that uh, <laughs> carbon dioxide setting up on them.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I the one time where we went to paintball, uh, one of the guys we went to with, he had his own. They have to calibrate them to make sure that the PSI is correct on ones that you bring from your home, so that they're they're even. And <laughs> this was so high, it was like you you heard the little thing go beep beep beep. Whoa, we gotta turn you way down there, kid. Yeah, you
1: turn that uh, setting up too high, and you're gonna break skin pretty easily. Oh
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Even with the settings that they had, I got hit a couple times. Ow, yeah, ow, it's, that's uh, so
1: fun. good. good Sport if you want bruises in small places.
0: Yeah, I think that's why a lot of people go for laser tag. Same general and, idea.
1: But... And airsoft.
0: Airsoft, yeah, exactly. Um, so, hey, you know, you could try airsoft with courses like this, but we're... Sure, you could do laser tag with it, too. You could, absolutely. I'd love to be a mouse and have a, have a laser gun. <laughs> Can you imagine being a mouse with a laser gun?
1: You just do a cyberpunk laser tag experience... And get Keanu Reeves to show up.
0: <laughs> Can Keanu Reeves do a Mickey Mouse voice? I hope not. If so... Johnny... <laughs> Johnny Silvermouse. <laughs> Perfect. Oh. Oh my god. That would be amazing. John Wick, but as a mouse. Oh dear. John Squeak. Perfect.
1: I think we're off topic now.
0: <laughs> anyway... They're trying to bring video games into the real world. I'm just trying to figure out if it's actually going to be successful. I, I'm i kind of up in the air on it. Some people might like it. I think, though, that the video game community, if you're really into video games, you probably want to actually play the game,
1: not in real life. Yeah, I was kind of just thinking that a lot of people who are going to play a lot of games probably aren't as interested in Going and doing physical activity in that kind of capacity.
0: Right. And um, in many ways, I'm wondering if this comes a little too late as VR starts to get really popular.
1: Yeah, VR and AR. Because you can also get the things that you can overlay on your phone. And just like, oh, I've suddenly made my real world a video game. By having these objectives and things I can do. Gets me to thinking... Like, (laughs) Like, you know, Pokemon Go got lots lot? of people to get outside. Yep, it sure did.
0: And it did get me to thinking, like, I wonder how many people who go to Bam Kazam will just be, like, playing, like, a Pokemon Go and trying to catch the Pokemon in
1: the actual uh, game. If you want to go to Bam Kazam and you think there is a video game that would be a great as a partially indoor uh, physical experience, let us know.
0: Yeah, if uh, you could go into any game as a real-world setting, what would it be? I can tell you that my uh, pick for not doing that would probably be Fallout.
1: Mine would be The Sims.
0: Also a good one. Also a dystopic future for a completely different reason. (laughs) So, good to know. Once again... (laughs) Once again, we come to uh, the point where we have to do a soapbox. And this is probably not going to be necessarily as contentious as the last one we did. This last year, uh, I played quite a few games. And I had recently compiled them into something that a few people might have watched, which was the best to worst list from 2020. There were some really good ones. And then there were some that were at the bottom of my list. And you can probably guess what some of them were. One of them was uh, Dark Alliance. The new one, obviously, not the original uh, Baldur's Gate or, uh, yeah, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. This one, I think, is branded as Dungeons & Dragons Dark Alliance so that it has some difference. But let's face it, if you saw Dark Alliance, you'd probably assume that it was related to the previous one.
1: Um, I did when I saw it. I was like, whoa, they're making another Dark Alliance game?
0: Or you would probably, you know, not be mistaken if you thought that it was going to be a reboot or like a remaster of the original Dark Alliance game that came out. Now, uh, we can talk a little bit about the original Dark Alliance before I get into this, but I think basically what people should know is that it was set in the Dungeons & Dragons universe, but it was similar to Diablo. It was similar to the hack and slash ARPG. That that Diablo was where I go around. I break a lot of barrels, and I also, uh, you know, hunt a lot of uh, very large rodents of unusual. Size. Yeah,
1: it was it was similar in that aspect, except it was PlayStation Two. Oh yeah, uh, when those ones came out, so it was slightly different. But it's you know, here choose one of a few characters, and they have their abilities, and you can equip them with their armor and weapons, and go and here's a storyline, and go do it. Yeah,
0: and it was it was pretty straightforward. If I remember correctly from that one too, though, a little different than Diablo. Uh you were moving in a more linear fashion like through each chapter as as you went along. I don't think there was a lot of backtracking to like previous locations.
1: No, I don't think there was any really any no. backtracking. There was you know, I think you could revisit some locations. There was new game plus.
0: They I think they did did they Maybe that was just well, me doing Wishful. thinking. Dark healing. Alliance
1: 2 had two bonus characters you could unlock.
0: Oh, okay. So. Maybe that's what I'm thinking about. So there there was some stuff like that, but it, it was a little different. It was a little different. I think everybody, though, the general consensus that was a pretty good version of, like, that Diablo-style ARPG. They did a pretty good job with it. So, anyway, people were probably pretty excited when they said that they were going to do a new Dark Alliance game. I um, was. Yeah. So let me tell you why you pr- probably shouldn't have been. Uh, <laughs> and I
1: wasn't. <laughs> and why I'm not.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Um, I don't know if you actually got a chance to play the new one at all.
1: I haven't played it. I looked at it and went,
0: "Oh." <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you about my experience playing it because I, I actually did, and I would say that overall. I probably put about fifteen hours into it. Honestly, I, I, okay. I, it was not an inconsiderable amount of time—maybe twenty. Um, but let me let me kind of explain what this one is. The the essential title before I get into this of the soapbox it, I was calling "Destroying Your IP for Fun and Profit," and uh, and when I when I first saw this, and I had even seen some pretty negative press about it, I still thought, well, it's on Game Pass, and I would like to try it to see what. The problem is, I I want to actually play it to get an idea of, because sometimes, maybe this is just me, but even if I know a game or I've heard a game is bad, I will still, if I have the opportunity, want to play it to kind of define why.
1: Yeah, I have a similar take on games, but the opposite way, where it's where if a game is so well received that everyone gushes about it, I will refuse to play it until the hype of it dies down.
0: That's a perfectly reasonable thing to believe, because I, I think people do get swept up in the moment on these th- things. Similarly, when there's a real negative... Uh, uh, <laughs> when there's a game that I might have been excited about, let's say uh, uh, Cyberpunk, and people have a real negative impression, I usually wait a while, but I'll still want to play it. Right. Um. And at some point, I, I might talk about that, because that that particular game, uh, I've been playing a lot more than just on stream... So, I'll, I'll talk about that at some point. But, um, so Dark Alliance. The, the way Dark Alliance works now, prefacing this with, I don't necessarily mind when they change games up or change mechanics, um, but I wasn't a big fan of how they laid this out. Um, they, they start you off with one of four characters. They're very famous characters from the They are the four
1: characters from, um, Ari Salvatore's uh, Dark Elf trilogy, and the extended book series that made Drist Do'Urden famous. The okay. character of why everyone wants to play a dark elf that is not your quintessential uh, evil as hell dark elf.
0: Yeah, and uh, to be honest with you, the first character that I tried playing, I figured would be Drist. Probably one of the, I, I would say, arguably the most famous D&D character
1: out yeah, there. Yeah, he is probably the most famous D&D character. Yeah. Um, Out Um, there,
0: so you you have him. He's he's an assassin. I also played Caddy Bree.
1: He's an Uh, assassin
0: in this one. He's supposed to. I think they label him as an assassin.
1: He's a ranger. Yeah. Um. He's he's not even a ranger. They statted him out in the three point five Forgotten Realms campaign setting book. Mm. He is ten levels of fighter three levels of ranger. Uh, He gets two points of challenge rating for being a dark elf, and then he also has uh, I think he has a level of barbarian in there. That sounds
0: interesting, actually. Um, Caddy Bree I think is technically called a fighter? Um, But seems like she would have actually been statted for a ranger, because primarily she's a ranged combatant.
1: Yeah, you you can make a ranged fighter. It's fine.
0: Yeah. Um, and then the other two, I think one is a paladin and one is also a uh, is is also a fighter class. But I think they're all pretty they're much barbarians. fighter classes
1: then. Because yeah. Brunor is definitely your fighter. He's wearing heavy armor. He's got a shield and a hammer. Because he's mm-hmm. dwarf. Yeah. And then uh, Brunor should be a barbarian.
0: Yeah. I might. Or, sorry. Might um,
1: Wolfgar, Wolfgar should be a barbarian yeah yeah does he get to throw his hammer
0: yeah i didn't play brunar sorry oh or, or wolfgar. okay
1: well but i, Wolf, I think so wolfgar sh- i think i said brunar wolfgar the guy with the two-handed the human with the two-handed hammer should be able to throw that okay he should be able to throw that like freaking thor they do
0: all seem to have some kind of ranged ability uh, but it does seem to be uh, preferential to certain characters and not others. Um, yeah. They also all have some like special abilities, but something I was very surprised with by that list that we were just talking about is that it doesn't seem particularly varied in, in the kinds of characters that you play, uh, especially because this is potentially a multiplayer game where you can have many characters you would think maybe they would have a cleric or something in there uh maybe they would have a mage like any kind of a spellcaster who primarily does spells um they they just don't if it was Baldur's gate there was a bunch of characters that i remember from like the Baldur's gate games that could have fit the bill for that uh but they they didn't use any of that anywho the way they set this up is that you have a hub world and uh, you can buy stuff from the vendor and stuff, whatever. And then you go to this little table, and it shows you a map and different quests that you can take on. And they're they're all like campaigns that are in three parts. And you choose the one that you want to do, and more unlock as you do the initial ones. Uh, and they basically tell you, okay, you can do this. What challenge ring do you want? This is your over. This is your general power different powers are are equated to different levels and just go to like one to six for challenge rating okay great and then step into the light and you'll go to that particular quest piece
1: okay okay
0: yeah so you go into that quest area and uh you basically start getting into a very linear quest line Not a lot of exploration. There are some off-the-beaten-path places where you can go get chests and stuff. And then you get to essentially fighting arenas that are set up throughout the world. And you have to battle the monsters that are there. Periodically, they will offer you the ability to throw down a campsite. You can either use it as a save location to replenish all your stuff. Or uh, increase your loot modifier. Because the weird thing about this is you don't actually get any of the stuff you've acquired in that area until you have completed it to the end and beaten the boss. So once you've beaten the boss of that area, this, this big thing probably takes you, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes or something for one of these areas. Um, once you've done that, anything that you've acquired is now acquired for you and also your experience and everything like that. Up to that point, though, you don't get anything, so if you bail, you're left with nothing. It's kind of an all-or-nothing system that way. Um, Okay. And it's in third-person action sort of setting, uh, and it can be multiplayer. If, however, uh, something kills you, you'll keep the stuff that you had acquired so far, but they'll kind of throw you back to the last save point, essentially. And you go back, everything's back. You gotta battle through it again, <laughs> over and over and over again. First time I did this, I thought to myself, "Well, we're gonna just go for broke." And I decided to do the, <laughs> I decided to do the highest level I possibly could, level okay. uh, challenge rating six, way out of my weight class. I have starter equipment. I'm level one. There you go. But I'm curious because I've heard about some of the flaws in this game. And it makes me wonder if I can exploit that. Okay. So I I start... What
1: what flaw specifically?
0: Well, I'll tell you.
1: Okay. Uh, Okay, good.
0: Because it is the first thing that I encountered on the first quest line. Now, I should mention that primarily everything that you have to deal with here are basically goblins, trolls, and ogres. There's not a whole lot of
1: variety in enemies, but those are pretty That's much... a big gap in power difference between those. There
0: really is. So I'm going up against the challenge rating 6 goblins uh, pretty soon after I get into this first piece. And you see this little encampment, and there's some goblins in. So the thing that I was going to exploit, and I can tell you that it is exploitable, and if you had more patience, you could probably utilize it better is that the enemies in this game decide that um they will aggro you if you step into like their arena they will come after you if you however step outside of it they instantly forget you exist and go back to their starting locations so i tried this with drist and uh did some ranged attacks The problem, of course, is that with me, with my starting equipment, and them being such a high level, the amount of damage I was doing to them was so minute, and I had to like step back in the arena, and then they go, oh, there he is, and they start running at me, and then I just get right out, and they go, ah, he's gone, and they go back to the thing, and I'm just chucking as many as I can, and eventually I'm starting to think to myself, well, I have some special traps, maybe this will go a little faster, and I get in there, and I realize that they, like, smack me a couple times and I die. So, I so I was like, maybe, uh, you know what, screw it, I'm just gonna go to the baby setting, and just do, do one, because I want to see what this this thing is, because I'm
1: not gonna have the patience to do this for the entire thing. Right, that's the, the thing I have about exploits. There's so many exploits in games that are look really fun, take a lot of setup and patience I don't want to deal with.
0: Right, and um, I started to realize, like, I, I tried... Uh, Challenge Rating 3, which was a little bit out of my class, and I did a little bit better there. Got through a couple areas, but then when I realized I keep getting kicked back to my original starting point and have to deal with it all again, uh, I was still not interested in it. That actually led me to find another interesting little exploit I guess you can use in the game. Is that for the majority of combat experiences, you can basically just run past the enemies. Assuming that the doors are unlocked, there's a few areas where you have to battle somebody to get a key so you can unlock a door. But beyond that, most of them, if you just run, nothing hits you. You just run past them. And they go, and they never do. And of course, the second you get outside their arena, they go, he's gone. And they they go back to their starting location. I have video footage. Because after I realized Drist wasn't working for me, I went to Caddy Bree because I thought, well, if I'm going to try ranged combat, I'll go with the archer. There's video footage I have of me as Caddy Bree standing on a ledge right outside the uh, the essentially the battle arena with a, a bunch of these like little goblin dudes just standing there. and They haven't seen me because I'm, I'm technically outside and just going... Pfft. And just I, I have a combo over 200 just doing this continuously, because they are not, they, they don't care. They literally just don't care. And then, oh, yep, yeah, killed him, move on. <laughs> Unlimited arrows, just keep on, Jeez. just keep on going. Um, and the only thing you have to worry about is that your stamina meter will go down if it goes to broke. your maximum lowers. So you have to be a little conscientious about that. So is this trying to be a Souls-like game? No, because okay. in a Souls-like game you would lose all of your stuff when you. Oh, okay. And and it's not an interconnected world like that. Oh, you, okay. You go into this one arena, you get to the boss, you beat the boss. They tell you, "Hey, congratulations! You were the top a damage dealer in this out of all the characters." Because I was playing by myself, and. Uh, <laughs> And, and congratulations with that, and here's the experience that you get, and then you go back to a hub world.
1: So this, what I'm hearing this is, is this a game is hub. a really poor single-player experience.
0: It's a poor single-player experience. I would say it's probably also a pretty poor multiplayer experience. The only reason it might be better is because you wouldn't necessarily lose your progress if one of your party were to fall right, in combat. Uh, but other than that, it's not particularly easy interesting, and there were a lot of problems with it. It did not work for me, and I think the reason was just how easy it it seems to be that it doesn't, um, that they didn't really spend a lot of time working on the game. (laughs) It seemed very (laughs) cash-grabby the entire time I was playing it. Well, Um,
1: I I do want to say, while you were telling me all about that, I did look up the game and who made it, The company that made the game is uh, someone that formerly worked for Ubisoft, uh, but they've only ever made one other game, and I've never heard of that other game. It's called, like, LiveLock.
0: Oh, they made LiveLock? Yeah. Oh, okay. I've played that.
1: (laughs) Did, did you have similar experience with that game?
0: Livelock is very different than Dark Alliance, actually. Livelock is, Live is much more of, imagine Diablo as a twin-stick shooter with robots. That's Livelock. No, actually Dark Alliance, I'm trying to think of a game that I played that was in a similar genre. If you can imagine like a co-op action game where you where you go into individual tests and, and trials and there's a there's an overarching hub world that you release from. Actually, no, I can tell you what it is closer to. It is closer to Warframe. It's similar oh. in structure to Warframe if Warframe didn't actually let you get anything until you were done with an individual (laughs) section. Um, Gotcha. Yeah, it's kind of like that. And also, if it wasn't very good (laughs) because Warframe um, was actually surprisingly good but yeah.
1: So the issue I had when I looked at it when I was like oh a Dark Alliance game that sounds cool because I played the first you know the original two Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance games. Right. I was like these games are fun you could choose you know you only had a certain number of characters but you know you could choose between very different characters. Right. Like you you'd still only get like different weapons they could all use in armor but they all have very different abilities they could use sir um so like the necromancer for instance could um summon i think he had some enervation. he had spells um there's a monk who it's like yeah. all right well i don't even need to use weapons really but you know you can you use one weapon just you know monks have that one one weapon they can use usually but you could also right. wear like th- you know full plate armor as the monk and it's like all right well this is not completely accurate but it's fine
0: yeah, um, it doesn't make a lot of sense <clears throat> usually like because i'm familiar with playing monks monks actually don't do very well with armor they usually benefit no from they're not supposed to wear any
1: yeah um and then um i was looking at this and i went there's there's four characters yep. and they're iconic characters to the setting of uh, you know pharaoh and forgotten realms yes um and i'm like okay but can you change your weapons i'm like i think you can change your weapons and i'm like that doesn't work for drist no no they they, um they they have a few different
0: like weapons but they try to keep them in the general framework of what weapons they would be
1: used to like yeah
0: Bree is gonna always have a bow that's basically what she's well
1: Both Drist and Wolfgar in lore have very unique weapons to them.
0: Yeah. And in, and in this, it is a like a color-coded loot system, like common to Legendary. So you will get higher level and rarer gear. Well, if yeah, you in that
1: it. case, one of Drist's scimitars should already be... A legendary weapon
0: right but obviously because they need to do the balancing and make progress they they don't do that they just which start is why
1: you wouldn't use iconic characters who have equipment that is also very iconic to them and you know symbiotically is if you think of the right. weapon it is them right like when you think of the name icing death mm. you think that's a scimitar that is wielded by Driss stoward right Right. It is a Frostbrand Scimitar. It is the bane of anything fire-based.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, the armor, since you brought that up, is also very interesting because there are basically just a few sets of them. They are all set-based. There are no, like, one-off pieces. Um, I
1: don't like when games only make set-based armor pieces.
0: Right, because what they do is they say that if you have, like, three pieces or six, pe- five pieces or eight I think something like that. Uh, you get uh bonuses for having that number of pieces for each set. But all the way from amulets to your to like your weapons to all of that, they are all based on, on some kind of a set. So
1: Yeah, you I see the
0: iconic stuff
1: in this. There is another game I was playing that does the exact same thing. Mm. And I'm like, I don't I think it's actually Assassin's Creed, uh, Valhalla.
0: Oh, do they do that in Valhalla? Where your
1: armor all has... Like, not every piece of armor, but most of them have, like, sets. So you have more than... Got it. You know, on their own, they're essentially useless. Like, they have their armor rating and whatever stat they've got on it. But, like, unless you're using these pieces of armor as a part of a set, it's not worth mixing and matching them. Right. Right. And in a lot of cases, I'd prefer to get armor that I can go, oh, this piece helps with this specific thing. This piece helps with this specific thing. Right. So you can have, right. like, all right, well, I only need, like, two pieces of the set... Yeah. ...to get this ability, yeah. and then I can do whatever else with my armor, or I can wear, like, two pieces of another set. I like that, because it, sure. it means you can have better build variety. Right. They do do that
0: with Baldur's Gate. Uh, w- Dark Alliance, I should say, because it's not Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. <laughs> but they do it with the new Dark Alliance where there's a certain bonus that you get and then a certain bonus you get if you have a higher one. So I guess they're thinking that if you had like half the pieces were of one set and half the pieces were another you you'd still get something from it. But literally like the like there isn't like a piece of equipment that I saw that is not attached to one of these like seven sets, six or seven sets. Um, and they're kind of specialized for certain things, like one is going to be really helpful for poison and acid and stuff like that, and one of them, I think, is is more for, like, range combat, and one of them is for certain enemies and stuff like that. So they they try to specialize it in that way. They even, just to make it a little bit more convenient, tell you the different with the different campaigns what set of armor is going to be most beneficial to you for that particular campaign, interestingly enough but in general that's that's the framework and it did feel like they were they were going for the commodification of this a little bit more the idea of trying to create a multiplayer experience that like they could they could sell as
1: almost a live service like a co-op sort of thing yeah i'm yeah. kind of wondering what wizards was thinking when they were like yeah we'll give our ip For all of these major things, all these really famous characters, to a studio that's only made one other game. And I
0: I don't necessarily know if I'm going to criticize the studio. Well, I mean, I'll criticize the studio for the fact that they really needed to um, figure out some of the mechanics of this a (laughs) a little bit better and how it was set up. But I am curious about why Wizards wanted to go this route with... Dark Alliance. I mean, there really wouldn't have been... I don't think anyone would have really complained if they just did what they did with the original Dark Alliance and just made a game like that. Even if they wanted to do it, like, in a third-person action perspective, but yeah. have like a continuous world that you're going through instead of like a hub world and going on missions and that Honestly? Structure.
1: Yeah. I didn't really care for Neverwinter too much. Okay. Um, the, uh, the, the MMO one.
0: Oh yeah, really? I played a little bit of that.
1: Yep. I don't think I really cared for. It. I might. I think it's free, right?
0: It is. So is uh. Maybe I'll,
1: maybe I'll Star download Trek. It again sometime and yeah. I'll try it again. So um, Star Trek, which
0: was made by the same people,
1: Oh, was it okay? Yeah, but like I could see a almost Assassin's Creed like game that they yeah. would do with D and D and the Forgotten Realms and the Baldur's Gate, Waterdeep, yeah. that the Sword Coast where it's, everyone does everything and d d is in the Sword Coast. Right, um, right. Except for everyone who hates the Sword Coast because it's so everywhere. Yeah. Um yeah. I think a game, like, not because I really love Ubisoft's formula, it's very much the same cut and paste thing in every single game now. But if it works, it works. Um, but something like that, where it's like you make your character and you can choose your class, or you can multi-class, and then here's your open world experience and tons of radiant quests and stuff. I think that would be great. Oh, yeah. For a DD game. Oh, a yeah. d A DD, uh, like Follow or Skyrim mm-hmm. type game mm-hmm. would be fine.
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: I don't know why that hasn't happened.
0: Yeah, I mean, pretty much if you just took um I'm trying to think what you, what Assassin's Creed game probably fits best for the for the D. Um may, maybe Unity? No, no, no. That's not that's too recent. Well, actually, maybe the first one. Actually, like, original Assassin's Creed, because that was set during the Crusades. But the thing about it is, is that if you just took the Assassin out of it and put Drist in there, and it was still the same functional move set, but with his weaponry and everything, tell me people aren't gonna buy that. Like, that, that seems like, you know, you reskin the whole world as, as basically Baldur's Gate... And you, you put the characters, and you could have multiple characters, and maybe some of them are better at the acrobatics part of it, and others are, are better at the assassination part of it, and whatever. And you could have your legendary weapons, you could have your special weapons. They're trying to get, there could be a quest line to go and, and get your, you know, unique uh, weaponry and stuff like that. But anyway, that's, that's a nice game that we're making right now, but that's not the game we got. Uh, no. The game we got is very much... Um, you, you aren't jumping <laughs> so much. You're you're walking along these paths, encountering groups of enemies, battling those enemies. Then more enemies pop up when you think you're done. And <laughs> and you, you go through that. Occasionally, you'll go off the beaten path to get a skill point or whatever. But again, you don't actually acquire them until the very end. Uh, and you don't level up in the actual missions. You have to wait till the end, and then you get all of that so that you can do it when you go back to the hub world there's one guy that trades with you there's a chest where you can collect all the stuff that you did in the last battle uh you can use a bunch of gems that you harvested in the missions to upgrade your weapons and increase its levels a few times um cuz some pretty bargain basement things and uh, a lot of a lot of stuff that you can exploit if you'd like to um but my main point that I wanted to make, besides, besides the I do not recommend playing Dark Alliance, <laughs> really, it, it's, it can be fun and it, it has its moments where you're kind of like going, is this good? And then immediately you turn around and go, no, no, it's not. It has some fun to be had just from the I can't believe I can get away with this kind of stuff. But in general, my point that I wanted to make with the soapbox was that I don't really mind. Honestly, when a company says, I want to go a different direction with uh, an IP and I want to try something different. I actually wouldn't want to see them do the same thing over and over and over again, cut and paste, with nothing new to add to it. Um, Like Assassin's Creed. Kind of like Assassin's Creed. (laughs) Um, My hot take on this is when it came to like Star Wars and they did the new series and like Last Jedi got so much vitriol from a lot of the community (laughs) because it was like they're changing everything and they're throwing out the rules and now Luke's really upset and they're 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 burning all the text and Yoda's saying that well maybe you, you have to move on and maybe the Jedi weren't doing the right thing and maybe 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 they they did make mistakes and people just did not like it I actually thought that that was the most interesting part of the movie (laughs) because it expanded upon the story in some way. I think
1: a lot of the reason people were upset about that is because the Star Wars universe already had a very large expanded universe. Oh,
0: yes, yes.
1: And and then they were like, oh, we're going to choose specifically this is all canon and the rest of that is not now. And
0: people were like, but my canon! Right. And of course, over the course of time, most of it's come back into canon anyway. (laughs) But I think that that was mostly Disney trying to get a hold on what the IP was going to be into the future and then trying to parse it back together so that it would be... Uh, marketable for them. But the fact that they kind of, like, had Ryan Johnson in the second installment just kind of go off and do what he wanted to do to make a movie, and it kind of undermined the first movie that felt like a return to form when J.J. Abrams wanted to make, like, it's almost like an homage. It's practically a new hope. The Force Awakens was basically a new hope. Sorry. People already know this. Everyone's talked about it. It's the same I haven't s-
1: seen any of the new movies yet.
0: Okay. Well, if I told you about like a chosen one that became a famous Jedi that was from a desert planet that uh yeah. Yeah,
1: it's it's all just yeah. a repeating cycle in those movies. Yeah,
0: and then they get onto the literal Millennium Falcon and have to blow up a giant star base at the end that a Sith create. Yeah, yeah, anyway, the point is Force Awakens very much the same thing. Last Jedi very different. And basically, uh, the message being that in in a lot of ways, you have to throw out what we had. Let's start a new chapter. This is a new chapter for a new generation, was kind of the idea. But a lot of people hated it. Me personally, I thought it was the most interesting thing because it seemed to add something new to the dialogue. But I understand why people might have had a negative impression of it. It is hard when they add new things to, to stuff, if you have a personal connection to what was there before. Um, yeah. But my my general feeling is I don't think that uh, people that have the IPs have to be so precious with it that they they aren't willing to expand ideas or shake things up. But this particular problem I have is it feels like it was lazy in its execution. Like they didn't really... Like they wanted to slap Dark Alliance on it because it was something recognizable people would want to make want to play, want to buy, but they weren't going to actually spend time with it. There the difference for me is if you want to shake things up, try something different, evolve your brand, your IP, and you're doing it with a passion and and a love or, or an excitement for that brand that usually ends pretty well. If you're doing it because you see dollar signs and you want to throw something out quickly, it's not going to work. Yeah. And this felt like the latter far more than the former. So, yeah, I probably just saved you a little bit of time. Uh, you don't have to yeah, don't have if, to If it ever alliance. comes
1: on to epic for free, for free, I'll you, probably check it out.
0: <laughs> this is what I would say because I I had it on Game Pass. So, that's why I played it. If you have the opportunity to try it for free, I do suggest trying it because I see how
1: much we hate it.
0: Because a lot of times, when I'm trying to articulate why a game doesn't work, I think that somebody playing it does a better job of m- than me explaining it <laughs> um, in a lot of ways. Similar to like that's when- not what
1: we're here for in this podcast. No,
0: similar to what happened with like um, uh, San Andreas like when when i tried playing that it's hard to articulate that the reason it it not good <laughs> um, except you can see with your eyes i suppose folks if you're going to change up your ip i understand that that i'm i'm totally okay with you trying that but do it in a spirit of having an actual love of your brand and not just thinking of your brand as a cash cow good message good message let's let's end on that so uh we are gonna end with a delving deeper because we have a mechanic to talk about
1: we do and this one kind of a mechanic this was actually suggested by our lovely brand uh director graveyard um the person does all the lovely thumbnails and the art and everything you see that uh, is here for TBK. That's Uh, right. And that was Tutorials in Games, or lack thereof.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. And uh, Tutorials in Games are uh, sometimes the thing that you want to skip through as quickly as possible, but then they can also be incredibly useful. Um, Right.
1: I remember when you played Crusader Kings 3. And I had watched, I think it was your Citania mine, and I watched your video on that. And attempting you're like, Oh, you're attempting to play series back in the old site. Yeah. Um, where you're like, Okay, it tells me to do this. How do I start a war? And you're like, yeah. I still don't know how to start a war. <laughs> I,
0: I couldn't get through the tutorial of that game because there were so many bars that they were trying to show me, and they weren't highlighting things. <laughs> like right. they, they were like on the left side of your screen, you're gonna see a bar, and there's a there's an icon. Click on that, and it's like, could you Could you just show? Could you just show the damn thing for me? <laughs> yeah, I'm, so... I'm sitting here losing a war that I am attacking because I I I, I don't know why I'm losing, and then I won. I, what happened?
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we've been playing a lot of uh, Farming Simulator 2022 recently. Okay. And I th- think the pitfall there uh, becomes... It's... I don't know. its They've had several installments already. Mm. You know, They're like 27, 2017, 15, 19, uh, etc. I think probably a few more before that. But we've never played the game before. Sure. And so we're going into it, and are like, how do we do this thing? And it's like, alright, well, here's a basic little uh, guide that's got a little bit of information for you on things. You can click on different topics and it gives you a basic information about this one topic that you're like, animals, cows give you milk, or meat, or uh, bees give you honey, and can help fertilize some crops. Sure. Um, but then it's like, yeah, we have a, a web page that gives you a Farming Academy, uh, which isn't completed. There's a lot of areas on that web page that say coming soon uh, for a game that is fully released. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the biggest issue I think we were having was that... Not having ever played the game before, not being real-life farmers who know anything about farming equipment, for instance. Mm. Um, If you go into the store and you look at the equipment and you want to buy it, so they've got it all sorted out by like what type of equipment. So you've got like your seeders, your weeders, your cultivators, your plows, all the things. It has a one-line description up top of plows are used to uh, do this. Cultivators are used uh do this a cedar does this but once you get into the thing and you've like you're checking out the vehicle it's yeah. got like oh this is the tonnage the horsepower these are all the the vehicle stats which it doesn't tell you all the things on the side of like what they mean or what they do which i guess isn't necessary for some of that that's if you've got a fairly okay knowledge about oh horsepower means that you can you've you're more powerful i have no more um. horses You've got more horses for your power? Yep. Um, but like then when it comes into, okay, but... Really, what is this used for? What can I do with this? It doesn't tell me, like... It, give me a synopsis of sure. this p- piece of equipment can do this, can do that. It is used for this specific thing. Um, that type of thing would be helpful. Uh, the other thing is sure. it doesn't give you, like, any tutorial, like really beyond really basic like here's how to sure. drive your stuff here's how to walk around here's how to interact with objects it's like kind of like figure it all out um yeah just figure it out it's fine and it's it's fairly forgiving as yeah. a game you can set it to make it fairly easy but oh uh, it's jarring when a game especially one that will run you a 50 dollar you know price tag up front Mm. Assumes you've played so much of the game series that you know how to play it already.
0: Got it. Mm-hmm. Or
1: when they just are like, you know, you don't really need a tutorial. You can you can do it yourself. If I have sure. to go onto YouTube to find a tutorial on how to play the game, right? You're not doing enough on your front end to encourage new pe- new people to get into your game.
0: Right. Right. And uh, and that that yeah, they got to do a better job at that. Um what I noticed, uh I had a couple big release titles that I was playing recently. And sometimes if you're looking at big titles, you're you're interested in how they're gonna handle this and strangely enough they seem to handle it similarly. I was doing Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven as people know, and also uh Horizon Zero Dawn, uh which I've been playing uh quite a bit. And um those are those are two pretty triple games, uh, yes. for better or worse. And I have to say, uh, you know enjoyable uh in general but oh yeah i i I would like
1: to say for the record that farming sim 2022 i've already put like 80 hours in uh it's very relaxing once you figure things out
0: oh yeah there's this whole barrier to entry that i think we're really getting to when it comes to training or tutorials or something that's just trying to make that barrier to entry lessened so that it's yes. easier to actually get into the game because there are a lot of very deep ones that are just overwhelming and very difficult to to really parse together when you first get into them. Tutorials can help that tremendously. Yes. <laughs> the, the way they do it is actually very similar in Horizon Zero Dawn and in Cyberpunk is basically they'll just start the game and when a new element is presented as the story goes along, a thing will pop up, and it will basically say, here's how stalking works when you're in, like, Horizon Zero Dawn. This is the icon you're going to see at the top of the screen. An open eye means that you are visible. A closed eye means that you are not. When you are in the tall weeds, you're going to notice that close. Uh, yeah. That is the new thing. So now that you know that, here's your objective: is to take down the Robo Dinosaur in front of you. What while you are in cover, uh, this is how your bow works. This is how the the little rock works. Uh, distract it with the rock so that you can get past it. Period. Cyberpunk, same thing, is just generally, okay, you've unlocked the car. How do you call the car? You press this button, and you can select it from a list, and the car will come to your location. Um, not a specific tutorial piece in any of that, but just, we have introduced a new element. Here's what you do with that information, uh, and we shall continue onward from there. I don't
1: mind when I start with a very small number of mechanics and then introduce them, sure. but I think... It would be more helpful in a lot of these games if they had a linear beginning yeah for like action adventure games it's really easy to do such a thing mm. where you go all right we're gonna start with just this kind of like first two maybe two hours three hours of the game sure that's fairly linear or even just a half hour a short tutorial like mission yeah it's like all right here's like this linear set of things you're gonna do not much exploration like to teach you the basics Actually, a game that did a very decent, I think, um, way to introduce you to how to play their game was New World. Oh, sure. Like, sure. you make your character, you go into a cutscene, and the tutorial, uh, you know, your start, you start, and you go through, like, maybe a 15-minute tutorial. Here's how to move, here's how to, like, jump, here's how to sheath and unsheath your weapon, here's mm-hmm. how to pick up items, heal, and here's combat. Sure. And then you, once you do that, it's like, all right, you you the end of that scenario happens and you wash up on the the shore on the new world. and Got it's it. like, all right, hey, good, you survived. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's quick. I mean, you have to do it for every new character you make, which I mean you only get two character slots, so it's whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, but like it was super easy. It's like, okay, this is really simple. Yeah. This gets me in there. There's not much more mechanical you need to worry about. Um, mm-hmm. On the flip side, um, you were talking about those games, uh, one company that we have noticed does a fairly not great job at giving you in-game tutorials is Frontier Developments. Okay. Uh, and yeah. I would like to say I l- really enjoy the games Frontier makes, being Jurassic World Evolution, which yeah. is great, uh, yeah. Planet Coaster which is great. Planet Zoo, which is really great. And sure. Elite Dangerous, which is notedly one of my favorite games that I love to go back to and just putz around the galaxy in a spaceship in. Right. But the in-game tutorial, especially for Elite Dangerous, mm. um, really there. doesn't exist. There's There's a couple, like, all right, here's some basic training missions. Like... Uh, to go with it, and there's some in-game stuff you can go, like training missions you can do, which y- yeah. you should, but it should be like a straightforward he- hey, you're starting the game. Do the t- Here's an actual tutorial, and then you're free to go. As opposed to, right. well, here are some training things, which, I mean, the bright side is you can go back to the training things anytime you want. Yeah, yeah. But, but even past that, mm. past all the training things they have there, there's so much of the game that is not explained. And the learning curve is so steep that's I, having 400 plus hours in this game, probably more at this point, you know, I will look up videos on YouTube to know how to u- do things.
0: Yeah, when you have to start looking up YouTube videos, you start wondering.
1: <laughs> I was like, all right, I want to try this thing that they added to the game. It's called Deep Core Mining. You basically go into an asteroid belt, you scan for any uh, asteroids that have a core Mm
0: -hmm. in them.
1: Um, You scan them, find what their core is, and you're like, alright, this... And then you shoot um, mines into the asteroid and crack it open. Sure. It's like, okay, this is really cool sounding. And it's actually really fun. Uh, Because you go around, you kind of search, and you're like, okay, I'm searching through all these surface mining asteroids that i can do i can just surface mine them all or i can find one that's got a core in it and blow it up and then take everything that was inside the asteroid and it's usually really worth a lot of money so i looked up videos on how to do it because the game doesn't tell you we're in there
0: No, no 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 um and uh and kind of just to expand upon that uh, when I was mentioning Cyberpunk and Forbidden, uh, I'm saying Forbidden West, but uh, <laughs> Zero Dawn, um, they they actually do like that first section of the game, usually where they're introducing mechanics. It is fairly linear before they actually get into the you know game proper, which is much more expansive. So they kind of keep you a little bit honed in at the start. Um, and uh, but yeah, my experience with Elite Dangerous was um, very much that the the tutorial. Like, once I did the tutorial, I felt a little bit more akin to, like, what was going on. There's just a lot of components to it. Um, One of the things I would have really appreciated them to do, and it might have actually gotten me to just stick around, is if um, I didn't have to figure out how to completely rearrange my entire keyboard setup, the second yeah. that I got into the button layout, like if they <laughs> if they had basically said, "Here's just like I don't know, four different setups that you could have for like a controller and the keyboard and in here and so that you can change the the my pitch and my yaw and my whatever the hell, uh, you know, if I could just if you could just give me a few setups and is this comfortable to you? Is this nice? Just give me that moment." At the beginning of Halo, where I look up and I look down and I look left and right, and they kind of go, "Is that good? Would you like to change these settings before?" I Yeah, that on would to
1: actually it? be really nice. Yeah, one hundred percent. Do not suggest playing Elite Dangerous with just a mouse and keyboard. Ooh. If you have a controller, yeah. use it. I, uh, I, you will still use your keyboard for part of it. Oh yeah, but it's not bad.
0: Yeah, I, I also do not recommend doing it with just your controller because there is way too much going on for you to just use your controller. I, It, it gets too confusing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so you, you get a controller and a keyboard and a mouse and you might have enough buttons to play Elite Dangerous.
1: <laughs> well, I mean a lot of people that get really into dangerous get the whole uh have a flight, master stick? flight stick. Yeah, get the and flight stick and everything. And all that mm-hmm. stuff. And it's like, I don't have the money to spend on this for one game.
0: Oh my god. Do you remember
1: That's... when do you remember when Mech Warrior was like a huge thing and
0: they had to have a special this giant special control pad yeah. that was like three hundred dollars or something that you had yeah, to use no. for just that one game?
1: <laughs> Listen, I'm all for peripheries that you can use. For games and stuff, that's that's fine. Uh, unless the single one is for one game and you're spending three hundred dollars on it.
0: Well, they made it. They made
1: a sequel, so it was actually for two. Oh, sorry, two games. But still,
0: yeah. It, like if you're, it really if you're if you're really
1: like into the game, game and you're gonna play it
0: a lot. Okay, fine.
1: A lot. I mean, maybe it's worth it.
0: But yeah, if I could use it for other stuff, if they made it useful for other things, if right.
1: I had a setup just really dangerous. Yeah, I might consider getting a flight stake.
0: Maybe. Maybe just that. Um, so then the other thing that happens... Oh, and one of the ones we both like, it, like Kingdoms of Amalur or uh, Fallout, Sky... Actually, most of the Elder Scrolls also have kind of linear sections at the very beginning of the game where they explain to you the basic mechanics of the game before right. they kind of open you up to it. That seems to be one of the more preferred methods for a lot of large titles. Is yeah, but just that actually
1: game. does an okay game with their, like, how-to-play
0: tutorial. Yeah. Well, basically, like, just start start you off in, like, a cave or a dungeon. Yeah. And then kind You're, of... You've you know, been arrested. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty much every single, <laughs> every single Elder Scrolls game, it's like, well, you got in trouble with the law. Let's see if we can break you out. <laughs> it's pretty much it. Um, but, uh, but but there is that. Um, Everspace 2, uh, which was not nearly as uh, control-heavy uh, control as an Elite Dangerous, um, did a pretty good job of those, those initial sections where they were just kind of leading you through a, a series of events and telling you what to do. Also, utilize some of those screens where they, they specifically tell you what this new mechanic is while they're going through. The, um, the other kind that I've seen a lot... Uh, is where they will give you an optional tutorial area before you can start the game, and that way you don't necessarily have to do it if you're going through multiple playthroughs. Um, Remnant was actually one that did this. Uh, There is a, a small tutorial section that you can go through at the beginning, but you can also choose to not do that if you are familiar with these kinds of games or you're pretty set with the with the general framework that they're trying to do for for action RPGs. Um, but you might want to do it for the first time you go through. For right. Souls likes, I think that's actually pretty useful uh, to get used to how the controls are set up because they they can they can be a little bit daunting at the beginning. Um, but generally, I think that the framework has been, Try to start with a very small area to to begin with, and then expand out. Um, the Surge Two does that. Also, um, I'm trying to think of the, the other one that I played recently. Oh, Greedfall! Greedfall is a similar. You've you've played oh, that yeah. one. They have that. They, they have that one area that's open world before you get to the new world, and it kind of ex- it, you can kind of tool around in that city back home first.
1: Yeah, until you're ready to go.
0: And then, then you say, "I want to go on the ship," and you go to the main game. So, is there a preferred style of introducing game mechanics that you like when
1: it comes to video games, at least? Probably the the Bethesda type method. Like, yeah, you can do it all from the beginning, but like, we'll teach you how to do it while it's introduced, and it's just a fairly short intro. Is probably my preferred sure. uh, method. Like, here's a single mission that you're going on that teaches you the mechanics. Any other mechanics we're going to throw at you will be taught to you in the mission they are relevant in. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think that is is fairly decent.
0: Yeah. The worst one is look up a YouTube video. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Don't, don't do that, folks. Cause... Sorry, Elite Dangerous and Farming Simulator.
0: Yeah, and to be frank, like, even um, Medieval Dynasty to some degree, it's... Uh, they don't do a great job. Like, there's tutorial-ish missions, but they don't really specify, like, how to do a lot of things.
1: Yeah. You kind of figure I it mean, out as you go. That was a Planet Coaster and Planet Zoo is, like, you have some career tutorial-type missions, like, zoos you can work on. And you can just keep playing with those that pass it if you mm-hmm. want to. But it's not very clear on some parts of it, like, how to do the thing that it's wanting you to do. Sure. And it's like, all right, well, how do I do this? Yeah. Um, And it's like, it doesn't help. No. And thankfully for those two games, if you know how to play one, you generally know how to play the other. So if you've played Planet Coaster, you should probably be mostly familiar with how to play Planet Zoo at that point. uh, Except for the animal thing. But if you played Planet Zoo, then you should be very aware of how you can play um, Planet Coaster aside from maybe the roller coaster building.
0: Yeah, um, I, I do remember playing the Jurassic Park one that they had done, and there are a lot of parts where it's like, okay, my dinosaurs are now eating people, what can I do about that? Because Watch I'd like and to enjoy. Watch and enjoy. <laughs> um, the, uh, the other one that I, I was playing recently, and they've kind of gotten a hold on how they're supposed to do a tutorial because it is a very, um, it, it is a very precise kind of game, is, uh. I went and played Tony Hawk One and Two. The uh, did you? You yeah. played the remaster? Yeah, I got that on sale while it was on Epic. Um, but I, I got the One and Two, One Plus Two, and one of the first things that they do is they say, "Would you like to go through the tutorial area?" And there is like a tutorial park, and they go, they basically allow you to just go through the park if you want to try different things and learn different mechanics, and then they show you if you'd like to. Do this again. Let us know if you'd like to move on to the next thing. There's a you know, icon. Go over to that icon and we'll show you this move. You do that a few times to get the repetition down so that you know how to do your jumps and your ollies and your manuals and all of that. And then we'll move on to the next thing and hey, you want to try any of these again, you go right ahead And or if you want to jump into the main game, go, go for it. Um, they kind of, they do it very piecemeal that like that, but they make it very clear at the beginning, this is how you can get the basics down. This is how you can use them. Try it for yourself. Do you feel comfortable with that? If not, you can keep doing it. Um, which, which in extreme sports games where you have to have very precise controls and you have to get used to combos and stuff is very helpful for people that are not familiar with it out of the gate. Right. Um, the, the other thing, though, we wanted to talk about is how this works with TTRPGs. And that sometimes you will see that a, uh, a tabletop game will use a, a quick start guide. And a lot of times in the quick start guides, in addition to telling you how to make characters, they will also have some small like um, modules.
1: Like yeah, some little, small adventures.
0: Yeah, just a basic adventure that probably take you just one session. That in many ways will explain the uh, the general game mechanics for you uh, right. and how, how to utilize it. Uh, in uh, 1879, uh, they actually had given me a quick start guide to make my character. It had uh, a series of like six, I think, pre-made characters you could use that were at a certain level and that would work for the tutorial mission that they gave you that was kind of like, I think, a train heist kind of scenario. And uh, basically, you know, just uh, you could run through that scenario to get used to how the mechanics of the game work and and how your characters function if you wanted to, to acclimate yourself to the game. We didn't have to run through that um, because the person that was running it works at FASA, so I'm pretty sure that you could answer any questions I had about the mechanics if I got lost. Um, but I did actually use the framework of one of the characters, which was a weird scientist, to build my weird scientist. There you go. So I, I could I could do that. They have similar ones in D anD. D.
1: Yeah, they've they've got like the Essentials kit and they've got the Starter uh, kit as well. Right, that are both fairly good. Uh, the Starter kit comes with pre gens. Sure. The Essentials kit does not, but it's got a condensed. Hmm. Uh, player's handbook which is yay big instead of yay big sure. um where it's like all right these are just some basics even though the bard is thrown there as a class that you can do it's like yeah these are just some of the easier classes like we're not gonna give you sorcerer or monk or paladin or is the bard easy uh, class no, Bard is extremely
0: common. I didn't think so. I've never played a Bard, but I was like, this seems tricky.
1: Bard has a lot going on.
0: Yeah. Um, but, like, I remember when they did Adventure Zone, and obviously a lot of people were... The the brothers, by and large, I think, except for Griffin, the the brothers and, and uh, their dad, Clint, weren't particularly familiar with the system, or really RPGs in general. Um or Travis, I think, was the one that was more familiar with it. But anyway, they um they worked off of essentially the Minds of Fandelver, which is a very common starting like campaign that gets yeah, you used to it one. it's a low level one and you can tell when they're even running through it that it's relatively linear in its progression so that you don't get too far off the beaten path it yeah. might be a little railroaded for uh, their taste and then obviously they started doing their own thing past that because they were like yeah we can do stuff that's more interesting but this is a starting point for us um and, uh, and then took it in a different direction, even by the end of, of that scenario. But I think that those are very useful. I wouldn't want to really throw somebody into a brand new system of a game and then just say, We're doing a full campaign. Uh, get used to your. I wouldn't. Basically, what I'm saying is, I would hate to be trying to start a new system. And then they say, OK, Matt Mercer is your GM. Uh, and make sure you write everything down. Because if you don't know it, he assumes your character doesn't know it. We're not playing around here, folks. <laughs> you get used to this. I, I, I would not like that scenario. No. Um, and, and I would also very much suggest that if you are going to run a system that you have never really played yourself, like maybe some people did, maybe trying to do a, a like long-term live series podcast may not be the best way to start
1: your experience <laughs> in that role maybe, maybe not maybe maybe not, maybe, not. Maybe, maybe get some other experience under your belt first maybe more than the one practice
0: run of your of your scenario so so,
1: so nathan i guess the real question is when are you doing a, another uh DMing job at doing it in actual or live play. I don't want to talk about that. I, <laughs> I
0: The thing that I was most upset about was that I actually did, essentially, before we, we started Rift Hunters, we didn't record it or anything, but with the crew, I did basically, like, we, we got together and we did, like, a tutorial kind of thing to work work on characters, and I had a scenario that I worked up. I thought to myself, well, I'll put them on the middle of the ocean in this world, and there's a research center, and it's it, it they call it the pineapple. I was going for a SpongeBob reference at that point. Um, and they had to battle very snarky sharks, which I just called snarks. And they had to get into the water, and they had to battle the sharks, the snarks. And... Um, And I I had a little, I think I had a little map or something of it and everything, but I thought, well, this is, this is nice. They meet an NPC. They, uh, they don't really have anywhere to go. They're in the middle of the ocean. There's only this thing. (laughs) Um, there's, there's some basic enemies that, uh, I don't really know if they're going to be overpowered or underpowered for this, but we're going to battle them. We're going to see how that works. We're going to see what the, um, mechanics of all of these characters are and, and how they function in the game that was the first thing that we really did as a group, uh, to get used to that before we even recorded. I would actually, I think that that was very helpful, because I got used to those characters. I kind of understood what they're supposed to do and what they can do as a GM, and I think that by limiting it to this one specific place that they can't move from, really, there's not a lot of other stuff going on, saving this research center out in the middle of nowhere, and this one enemy type that they have to battle it it gave me a good pulse on what we were doing and how this was going to work so even if you are new to a system or even if you're running a system if you start with something like that where you just limit your enemy types you limit your world that they're going to interact with and maybe just have a very limited number of NPCs that they're going to be talking to. It, it's going to make it real simple so that you understand how interactions work, how combat works, um, how exploration works, what your powers are. Um, unfortunately, that, that was not recorded, so it's lost to the ages. But, um, but I at least got that much done before I had to build a campaign. There you go. <laughs> so anyway, never forget the importance... Of your tutorials, folks, because it's the, it's the only way to really orientate people to a world that you're building. Yes. Yeah. I think that we have done as much of an orientation as we possibly can today on this episode of Total Pebble Knockdown.
1: Maybe we should have done the
0: tutorial as our first episode. There should have been a Total Pebble Knockdown tutorial, I don't know what that Maybe would
1: be. That can be the trailer that we put up on the website when we replace it, we can do a tutorial. Perfect. Click here to access your podcast episode.
0: Oh, that would be great. I can do it as a PowerPoint presentation. Everyone will Oh, god! It. Great. Okay, yeah, totally. We're getting on that project right away. Anyway, if people would like to uh, try to acclimate themselves to Total Pebble Knockdown, Alex, where could they go?
1: If you would like to, uh, see our new tutorial, please go to TotalPebbleKnockdown.com. Just click on this button right up here in the corner. Um, it's probably works really well on the on the audio only format.
0: Yeah, exactly. Make sure to click on the top right for the audio only, <laughs> uh, and then uh, you can get all of our wonderful episodes of Total Pebble Knockdown. Uh, also, and mine is over there. All of the other projects that we have, you can find it over on that
1: portal. And woo! we've got a maybe another project coming up by the end of January potentially, we'll see how we, that goes we are helping,
0: hoping, it's a little bit of a mystery but I think everyone's going to be excited about it when it releases um,
1: yes. community update for the website by the way, my community, I just made a website update um, there is now a tab under the uh, about section of our website that is dedicated to guest hosts if yes. you would like to come on our show and be a guest host Please visit that tab, we've got a couple of different ways we can work that out with you, Um, so check it out, there's a form if you want to use that, or you can just email us, Uh, just let us know, and we'll uh, work some stuff out. Exactly, Uh, people will probably be familiar
0: if you remember the last show that we did that we actually had a lot of guests on. Uh, we haven't had guests on this one yet, but that does not mean that we were not planning to in the near future. So we are we are hoping to get some on, and we thought we Alex was good enough to actually get a whole guideline together of how we can do that. So uh, check that out if you were looking to be on the show. Um, and uh, also, I want to thank our Patreon. Folks over there for helping us keep the digital lights on. You can always click on our patron banner when you get over to the website. Uh, episodes release early in their full video format before the individual segments or even the podcast goes up. So that's fun. You get some extra bonus stuff even in this episode.
1: Um, yeah, you got to figure out some other Patreon benefits at some point.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, there should eventually be like um, discounts on merchandise and stuff we have to set up for tiers. Everything. If you well. would
1: like to see something on our Patreon as a benefit to make you want to jo- help us out on Patreon, uh, let us know. Yeah,
0: actually, some really good ways to let us know would be either on our Discord, which is uh, a public Discord. You can find it at Total Pebble Knockdown, or, or you can find us on social media. I'm at Satanium. I'm at EXP Limited, and the show is at Pebble Knockdown. Exactly. So, yeah, if you can think of any kinds of benefits that you'd like to see, Uh, a a game podcast, a games podcast video series, Uh, (laughs) discuss uh, for our patrons. We'd love to know. We're always interested in brainstorming, doing a little collective hive minding for this. Yes. Uh, That would be very beneficial. However, I think that we are done knocking down pebbles on this episode. So before it becomes bolder, I think we should probably get out of here. Um... Alex, how many boulders have we successfully turned into pebbles at this point? 17, including this one. 17, including this one. Okay, we're doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. There's- it's too bad that there isn't like an excavation simulator or a mining simulator where we can just,
1: uh, harvest all the pebbles. That's just Minecraft.
0: You know what? Minecraft was the original Total Pebble Knockdown, I guess.
1: You knocked down all
0: the pebble blocks. Uh, Thank you for listening. We will see you on the next episode. Goodbye for now. Bye. Episode 17. Yeah, that was my neck dying. Episode 17 Alex's neck dies. I got distracted by, uh... The cat? The cat, yeah. This, anyway, the cat is just gonna be our co-host, that's fine. That would get more...
1: He screams a lot, so it would be good. Too many cats? Um, Yeah, Ray Ray already said that, because she had both cats on her desk. Great, that is too many cats. Too many cats. cats. Cool.